Welcome to the David Ross Show and episode three of the Corona Cast. We're continuing to look at the COVID-19 pandemic and all of its impacts from politics to professions to public health, of course, and the personal lives and the people that it touches. If you like what you hear, give us a shout out or a like, consider subscribing and share with friends. All right, welcome to the David Ross Show. Today we have Representative Andrew Barkas of Washington State. Welcome, Mr. Barkas. Thanks for coming. Yeah, thanks, David. I appreciate uh, the opportunity to sit and visit with you a little bit today. So folks who aren't familiar with you, can you give us a rundown of sure. what you do and where you do? Yeah, so uh, first and foremost, I'm a, a local business owner here in Thurston County. I own a company called Hometown Property Management. We manage about 1,100 Single-family homes. I've been in the property management real estate business for over 25 years, um, and we manage throughout Thurston and Pierce County. Uh, so a small business owner, I have been involved locally and really involved in my community and uh, got involved in politics and service uh, here about four years ago uh, when I was appointed to the House of Representatives in 2016. I serve in the legislature in the House uh, in the second district, second legislative district, which is uh, Thurston and Pierce County, uh, all, almost all of Pierce County and, and a good portion of uh, Thurston County. Um, and so I uh, have been doing that now for four years. I am the ranking member on the transportation committee. So I'm the number two person in the house on the transportation committee, which is uh, everything transportation in the state of Washington. We, uh, of course, do the budget about a almost a $10 billion budget there. And then uh, I serve on community housing development and veterans affairs, uh, working in the arena of housing and homelessness and such. And uh, also in business in financial services. Well, actually, it's called Consumer Protection and Business now. Uh, they changed the name here about a year ago. Um, and I, I do most of the housing policy within the Republican caucus uh, in the House of Representatives, working on everything from uh, landlord-tenant law to GMA reform, SEPA, uh, you name it. I've been working in the housing arena for years, uh, bringing, of course, my private experience into uh, public service. So uh, that's uh, me in a nutshell. So a lot of hats. I, I want to talk yeah. about... Uh, what it's like to be a public official, politician, if you will, uh, in the middle of, uh, well, economic and public health meltdown. Yeah. Well, it is, a, it is a new world. And, of course, for me, uh, it's very new, very different. It, of course, for everybody, this is just unprecedented. Nobody has, in, in our lifetimes, have, have seen something like this uh, where uh, something comes on and has this... Uh, big of an impact in in the short time that it has impacted us. Um, so it is a it is a new world. Uh, we we could see it coming. Uh, this year's session was a short session. It was a sixty day session in the, in the legislature, uh, convened in January and ended March twelfth. And you know, as we were going through the normal course of business, I mean, it was budgets and policy and. Uh, another very active session. Uh, we have a new Speaker of the House, uh, so we had a lot of new newness in how things were run and uh, just a lot of different things. And, um, you know, the budget was being developed and we had a $2.4 billion surplus that we had uh, been notified of through the forecast. And this is a supplemental year, so we thought, oh, you know, here we go again. They're going to spend every penny of it. And, you know, so we in our caucus and our budget writers, we've started to push against that like we have for the last four years to say, hey, you know, we've got to get a, a fiscal uh, control of the spending and uh, start banking some of this away for the upcoming economic recession. The economy is going to turn at some point is what we have been saying for years. 
And so towards the latter part of sessions, we got into the first week of March, you could really see things changing rapidly. Uh, COVID was spreading. Uh, the governor was talking uh, different things. We were talking legislatively. And so everybody started to look at things a little different. Um, and you could see that, especially in the last couple days of session, uh, especially with the budget. Um, you know, the budget as it was passed and as it was finalized was very different. Uh, about a billion dollars was cut uh, out of the budget from what they were going to spend. So they still spent over a billion dollars more in a supplemental year, but it was less than projected. And that's the first time that that's happened in, since I've been there and probably in the last six or seven years. And the governor started talking about different things within the context of his powers and proclamations and what was coming. And literally, as soon as we were out of session, uh, it all hit. And the governor, you know, declared a state of emergency. And, and we literally didn't have but 24 hours after session to kind of catch our breath. And then we were right back at it. And so we have been uh, in service uh, every day. Um, I average anywhere from five to seven hours a day in phone calls, conferences, uh, talking to people all throughout the state, constituents, and just working on all the issues around COVID. Um, and the primary focus right now for me and has been was to, uh, to get our housing going again. And also, uh, we have to reopen and get this economy going. Uh, if, talk about budgets. I can't even imagine what it's going to be like heading back into the legislature in, in January. So that sounds like a, a big handful. You said you're you're busy. We're not even in special session, which I guess Night. is going to come probably. Yeah. But uh, you're busy all day long. What are you hearing from you know the man on the street that calls or emails or, or social media contacts you? Um, absolute frustration. Um, <clears throat> there is a there is a level of frustration. Um, there's still, of course, uh, a lot of hope, and you know people are. It's amazing how people are, and you know this, through, whenever there's a crisis and stuff, people really, the, the, the goodness comes out, and, and a lot of times the not so great comes out, right? But good, good triumphs. And, you know, I've heard and seen tons of that in our community, and I'm just proud of this community for all the things that we do. But I'm also hearing direct frustrations. Um, people who are fearful that their businesses will never open again. Um, people who don't know if they can survive another week let alone another month. Uh, people who, even if their businesses do start back, I mean, you and I were talking about this just before we started. Uh, who's going to come? Can they afford it? Um, what are the next levels of, of cuts and ramifications? You know, we live in Thurston County. Our, our basis of employment is state government. Um, it's state government, it's military, it's hospitals, it's schools, right? And um, all of which are affected. Uh, but state government is going to see some of the biggest impact in its budget since 08, 09, it, it probably even more so. I mean, some of the things that we're hearing, it could be, uh, you know, significant budget shortfalls. And when you compile that on top of what has been created in programs and spending and entitlements and everything else over the last several years, you know, we're looking at a huge problem and that's going to affect hundreds, if not thousands of employees that live here, live and work here. So, you know, we're just hearing a lot of that. And that's why, you know, the, the frustration for me is I'm working, trying to move the ball forward. And in the minority, I have to work 10 times harder to move it afoot, right? Because we don't have the final say. I mean, the governor has the final say and the majority has the final say. 
but we're trying to work in a bipartisan way. We're trying to push this, but it's just, it's almost fallen on deaf ears. It's, it's the governor has a course of action. He's stuck to this course of action. He's not going to deviate from this course of action. Um, even in the majority, we've been working on, uh, you know, a restart business plan and, and they're frustrated because he's even being diff- he's even difficult to work with. And so, you know, it's just, I can't, when people email me or I was just answering a guy who's wife can't get through to unemployment and you know they're just they're hanging by a thread and I can't really give them an answer I can't give them a promise I can't say I can take care of that I can I can get that done for you I can because I can't I mean it's very difficult to to try to do that Um, so it's just it's a compilation of things that I think are compiling um, and it is also a direct result of everybody being kind of stuck home and you know, can't get outside. I mean, thank God the governor's going to limit, limit, you know, the amount of recreation we can do outside now come Monday. But, uh, you know, people are just getting to the point where they're antsy. They want to, they want to get back at it. They're willing to take the risk. We, we all know what the risk is. We, you know, we live with the risk every day and then just, they, they want to get going again. Well, we're not all willing to take the risk though. One thing that I'm seeing and hearing, you know, friends seen on social media is um kind of uh oh my gosh profits versus people Mm -hmm. how can you put one versus the other and there's there's really a big split i would say it's a cultural split you can say it's red state blue state type Mm -hmm. of split if you want to call it uh conservative liberal republican democrat whatever of people who um want a loosening of some of the restrictions or want to get back to work as, as they, they often describe it. And people who also want to, um, you know, the, the, a lot of, there's a lot of shaming going on, you know, a lot of, a lot of judgment across the bow of, uh, you don't want to listen to science or you're, you're, mm-hmm. you're ignorant or you don't care about your fellow man, fellow Washingtonian, whatever it is, fellow American. What do you think of that divide and, and what that's doing to us? Well, I, I think there's a divide and, you know, you're, you're spot on. It depends on what poll, you know, you're looking at. Uh, if you take a, a liberal poll like Crosscut that did one here not too long ago, they worked with Elway and they, you know, the numbers, if you read those questions, they're pretty leading and they, uh, they lead to a result, you know, and a, and a stat. And, um, you know, the government was actually waiting for that poll to come out so that he could make some of the discussion that he made the other day based on that poll. So you can say, see, look at everybody wants this. You look at other polls and talk to other people. And I think you put out in social media, I've seen a, a many, many polls and indicators, large samplings that are leaning more towards, we need to get back to work. Now we talk about it, our plan that we put forth, um, weeks ago, um, you know, a back to work plan. It is all predicated on safely doing it. It is all taking into consideration science and data and things that we know, things that we've known before, Dave. I mean, we, we've been dealing in a world of germs and, and flus and epidemic. I mean, we've been dealing in, in this, not on this, not at this level. We haven't seen this in in a hundred years, but you know, we have precautions. We have methodologies by which we can do that. Um, it was interesting when we were talking about, you know, construction and how we start, how we could start that back up. The construction industry already had in place many of the protocols and procedures that they needed to do. They just needed to add certain things to them and, and then put them into play and, and now have them followed by the industry in order to safely go back to work. 
I, I think you're going to see that throughout. I mean, I think that I'm sitting here, I mean, you've got you know, standing wipes and hand sanitizer on the desk. And I think, you know, that's going to be the new norm everywhere we go. But, uh, you know, I don't think it has to be either or. And I don't think that it's fair to say, you know, profits over people. Um, I don't, I just don't think that is the case. We've always, our society is built on an economy that runs. I mean, we, you're in business, you put your profits to work, you employ your people, you take care of your people. We all, you know, this is a, this is nothing new. This is how I do my work at my office. We have a health and wellness. We've, you know, we do all sorts of stuff in my office and take care of my employees. And when they're sick, stay home. And I don't, I don't see that as different today because of this. And I think that that argument comes forth and, um, is divisive. Um, but I don't, it doesn't need to be. It just, I think you can do both. And, and, and again, looking at the science and data. So, you know, we, we saw this coming up. We saw how this reacted. We saw the curve. We, you know, we all said, okay, if we flatten, we did it. We stayed home. We all stayed, have stayed home for 20 days or 30 days. We flattened that curve. The cases have dropped. And now I, I personally, and many think we need to really start looking regionally. We need to look at county by county, region by region, um, you know, city by city. How, how is this? We have protocols in place. We have methodologies by which if we see something coming back, we can shut it down again. We can take those controls. We can do the things that we just did the last month, but we also have to look at the data. Uh, there's been a hundred cases in Thurston County. There hasn't been one, I think in the last several weeks, uh, there has been one death. There are close to 300,000 people in Thurston County. Um, so if you take that and look at it and there are Grace Harbor has had six or 12 cases, 12 cases throughout the entirety, the, the entirety of the, of the Pacific coast has had very few. Now, of course, there's a different population base and everything else. Where is the cluster at King County? Where is the population base? King County, you know, um, a lot of talk right now, a lot of articles reading. I'm sure you have, we can't base our entirety of everything we do on New York city. There's eight and a half million people in New York City proper, right? And that was the hotbed of this. And how do the people get around? They get around in public transit. Then how did it spread? You know, all those different things. But even that has been contained and they're starting to move past that. So um, I just think you have to look at it all. Fair enough. I want to talk a little bit more about how, how different people look at it. But you have a unique perspective that I'm curious about, and that is your other hat of rent. Yeah. And, you know, uh, I've got uh, myself, I've got rent, I've got commercial rent mm -hmm. and um, how I, I see everything from um, rent strikes mm -hmm. to moratoriums on evictions to uh, people with mortgages, you know, that, that have a little bit of a grace period. And I've got yeah. a friend who says, you know, uh, I'm terrified because I've got this grace period. But it means I have this. I'm going to have a massive, you know, six, seven thousand dollar balloon payment sure. at the end of that grace period. You know, uh, yeah, I'm living it on uh, all fronts. Um, we got through April uh, as an industry and as a business. Okay, uh, we were fearful that the you know the first hit would be there. Uh, now it's really May and June in the bow wave, as we like to say. You know, and when we talk about economy and things, um, I am gravely concerned about the impact that this is going to have uh, for a very long time. Um, I am not 
in favor of, and I was not supportive of the moratorium uh, in the proclamations that the governor did. Now, I'll preface that by saying that when we saw this start, and, and of course, I have to go back a little bit because I've been working in the arena of landlord-tenant law in the state house for the last several years. We have watched an agenda come down from Seattle and King County of really radical, very left-leaning, very tenant-centric policy. Uh, everything from uh, rent control to just cause to uh, source of income to, you know, you name it, it's come, right? And we have worked very proactively, and I say we, the stakeholders that represent property owners and such, and the tenant groups together working on this policy. And over the last several years, we've done really good policy. The last two years has been difficult. They did a huge eviction reform uh, when they changed the notification to 14 days and they changed how you could go about evicting somebody for the not paying rent. Uh, we worked through that. Uh, this year, they tried to do just cause. We were able to defeat that. There was all this stuff that was kind of coming. So when this eviction moratorium came in, this was right out of the playbook that you saw in Seattle when they were talking about doing a moratorium on evictions for the winter. This was policy pre-COVID, right? And so they took that policy and they adapted and said, we have to stop this. We said, hold on a second. Uh, evictions don't cause homelessness. People aren't going to be evicted over this. We need to look at how do we keep people in their homes? We need to look at rental assistance. We need to look at making sure that both property owners and tenants have access to some rental assistance. And we better start looking at this now. This was back because it's going to be, a, it's going to be huge. So the, 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 General consensus was, well, we need to do something now that governor's got to act now. We, we're going to do this moratorium. So, okay, 30 days. We'll, we will accept this. We will work as an industry. It gives everybody a little breathing space. But people have to understand that they still are going to have to pay their rent. They have to pay their rent. Well, as expected through that moratorium, people said, oh, we don't have to pay our rent. You can't evict us. The courts are closed. You can't do this. So it started all this problem, the problems that we're, we were seeing. As we got to the end of that, and we were seeing them, it was about to expire, and it had to be renewed through his, his way, his proclamation, we came back to the governor's office, and I say we, again, the stakeholder groups, presented a whole plan on how to do rental assistance. It wasn't even considered. I mean, I had two hours notice before the proclamation was dropped by the governor that he was extending the moratorium for to not even 30 days, David. He, he pushed it to June 4th, which is 45 days. It's way past even the May 4th one. And he added five different elements to it by what I call, uh, he legislated via proclamation. Uh, you can't charge late fees. You can't do rent increases. You can't serve compliance notices. You can't um, on the debt collection on the backside of this thing, you have to prove beyond a preponderance of evidence in court that you offered somebody a payment plan. But it also has conditions in there that are very gray that somebody could say, well, they did offer me a payment plan, but it didn't work for me. You know, I, I didn't like that. And it looped commercial in. And so we have been kind of pushing back against that. Unfortunately, all this other stuff has happened in the last couple of weeks that it's kind of fallen on, again, the governor's not acting on it. And, and we as an industry keep pushing. And now you see everywhere, you know, rent strike, rent moratorium, rent freeze, everything else. It has such an up and downstream effect. If, if rent doesn't get paid, um, you know, landlords aren't able to make their mortgages. Many landlords, investors use that as their normal course of income. And it just, you know, it, it has this 
uh, up and downstream effect that is going to be very detrimental. So the way to get at that is we have to look at making sure that people are getting the assistance they need. But many have received that assistance either through their unemployment or through their um, their uh, ability to uh, um, also receive their uh, their uh, uh, stimulus checks and such. So. So we'll see how that uh, how that plays out here in the next uh, couple of well next week actually next week is May first so uh, Friday is May first so uh, it'll be very interesting to see how this plays and I know uh, from the commercial standpoint um, you know that is uh, has even even more detrimental effect because um, a lot of the uh, commercial um, Folks that uh, are renting, like yourself, that are dealing with situations uh, with their businesses being impacted the way they are, uh, they are going to have a very difficult time uh, being able to to pay the rents when their businesses are closed. So from a man on the street perspective, you see people that are out of work. You see people that have hopefully some benefits. What's your perspective on where people... um, where do they go from here if they're financially, you know, like you said about your constituent or the person who contacted you, they're on their last leg? Mm-hmm. Well, what we're seeing is, uh, you know, we've seen um, never before, uh, you know, economic um, uh uh, resources put forth by the federal government. We, we've never seen anything like this. And I think there's still more now there's concern there too, because, um, that's a finite resource, <laughs> believe it or not, the federal government is a finite resource. There's only so much money that can be doled out. Uh, the state has the same impact. And so it'll have to be about prioritization of those funds and how they're put into play. Um, locally, there is a lot of, uh, good resources coming forth by, uh, local groups from the EDC, Thurston County, uh, the cities are working on different things. I mean, those are all great and they're all there, but they're all temporary. I mean, the only way to, uh, combat the economic crisis is to get the economy going again. I mean, that's the only way. And you have to do that. You have to get that back into motion. Um, because it, it, again, if it just, the longer it goes, the harder it is to get to that. So, you know, man on the street, when I'm talking to people, um, we're, um, sending them in, in various different way, um, places to look for resources. Um, most of the resources like for rental assistance and such have come at a local level. Uh, Pierce County set up a fund. Uh, King County has done some, uh, Thurston County has done some different things. There are resources and, and we, in my company, we work directly with our tenants. I mean, anybody who has a problem, we're there to work with them. We want to make payment plans. We want to get them the assistance they can. The state is, uh, as a matter of fact, I was just reading this morning. There is now some conversations about rental assistance on the state level. Commerce uh, just talked about uh, something here the other day, and I haven't had the chance to research to see. So maybe they are looking at some of the ideas and things that we put forth here a month ago and some of the frameworks of which to do that. Um, and then it'll be up to the legislature. We we are looking at a potential special session. Uh, we don't know if it'll be this month or, I mean, excuse me, in May or June. 
Um, but we're going to have to come back because uh, that's how appropriations will happen. That's how we'll have to look at policy. And, and the governors, even though he has broad powers now, they are still specific. And so as, if this thing keep, continues to go, we will be needed to come back to make those decisions. And hopefully one of them will be to look at how do we fund uh, a program via commerce to offer direct assistance, uh, rent mortgage type of things for a, a interim period of time. So if you had a, if you had the magic wand, uh, politically and you could s- reopen the economy is the phrase that we keep using. Um, where would you go? What would you do? Well, first of all, as I indicated before, I think we need to look at a regional approach. I mean, we need to, we need to definitely look at the areas that have uh, the least impact from COVID um, and that have the, all the procedures in place. Um, you base it on the the medical capabilities. The uh, you know we we have so much data that we briefings that we have every week, right? What what's the bed count? What's the uh, ER? You know the the um, uh, you know the intensive care units, ICUs. What what are the what are the impacts? And and how do we have that? Um, so a very regional approach. Um, I think that you have to look at every segment. We sent a list of ten businesses. Uh, that we felt that could get going again. Uh, construction was at the top. The governor did take limited steps, and he's phasing that in. Um, it's a good start. I would be probably a little more aggressive on that um, if I was looking at you know the construction industry. Um, but we also talked about things like car washes. Why aren't car washes open? I mean, they don't. You have no contact with people there. You you know you scan a card and you go through and get your car washed. Uh, you know, uh, we open golf courses here coming up, but with very limited restrictions on how you can play, we've opened parks, but yet not open campgrounds. Uh, you know, you could easily, uh, space out campgrounds by having every other campsite open for the next 90 days and see how things go. So everything has to be done safely phased in and everything else. But I think that we can do more. I think we can hit more segments of it. Um, our, our, uh, salon industries, our hair you know, um, there is a, everyone has sent forth protocols on how they can do that, how they can do it safely. One client at a time, uh, you know, sanitize masks, you know, however, face, whatever needs to be done for a period of time until we can see that, you know, we're, we're past this. But, but my fear is, you know, as, as you know, you know, it takes 30 days to establish a habit and it takes 30 days to change things. And the longer this goes, the more we're changing everything. And it's, habits in the wrong direction. So and it's to speak. harder and harder to get back. So, you know, as we, as we look at this, are we going to now, is, is our whole world for the, for our foreseeable future going to be based in fear? Are we no longer going to go out? Are we no longer going to go to dinner? Are we no longer going to do these things? I mean, we've been living in a, in a world with hidden, you know, enemies for years with flus and cold. We've never even thought about it. We've flown all over the world. We've done all these different things. Are we going to not do that moving forward? And if so, how, you know, what's that impact? But my, my magic wand is, you know, I, I, I definitely would be um, relying on the information provided uh, and taking into consideration safely, making sure that people are safe, making sure that we have the processes in place to quickly react if we see a spike or something come back again, right? Um, do we need to wait until we have testing for everybody and try? I don't. I don't believe so. Uh, if we wait, that could be months and months and months. I think that's what we're going to hear from the governor today or tomorrow. I think he's going to say we're going to need to wait until we have these next phases. And I, 
there was an article and it was it, it it described it the best, right? He keeps moving the goal line, right? We keep hitting that and say, okay, the data and everything's, and then he keeps moving it. And we're like, what is, why are we now switching from this data to this data? And we're doing this process to this process. What's the reasoning behind this? And so then you start talking politics and then you start talking all sorts of other things start to creep into this. And I'm sure you've, you know, had your fair share of late night reading of conspiracy theories and, you know, different things along those lines. And well, when things don't make common sense, right. People start to fill in the, the blanks, blanks yeah. with, you know, stuff that I would normally say that's that's yeah. wing nutty. I heard the governor, we made national headlines when our Supreme Court just denied a big prison release yeah, um, the other day. Yeah. And we made national headlines about that. And our governor actually came out. I, I liked what he had to say. He, he's kind of common sense that we don't have to provide a zero risk for catching coronavirus to prisoners. So that because there's not zero risk out in the community. Yeah. So we don't have to release, you know, 5,000 prisoners in order to keep them relatively safe. And as much as I thought that connoted common sense, I, you know, what it immediately meant to me also, though, is that we don't have to create zero risk right. in in the community right. at large in order to have some semblance of, you know, getting back right. to a normal life with precautions and so on. But you know, that policy... Um, hugely controversial. I was adamantly opposed to it, period. Um, prisoners by their very nature are quarantined. <laughs> you have the ability within the confines of the system to quarantine and make sure people are just like we are. We're, we have to stay at home. We have to do it. So it, it just by its own, by the very nature of the order didn't make sense. It started out very small, you know, the most high risk that this, and then it expanded and it went from, you know, 80 to hundred to 250 to 300 to a thousand to 1200 to now we're going to do this mass release. And people started to say, well, what the heck? You know, there's been eight known cases throughout the state of Washington in the entirety of the department of corrections, eight, nobody has died, eight, eight cases. Um, it, we have set up facilities throughout our state where you can quarantine. We set up facilities in Kent and other places, these huge, you know, portable, you know, quarantine facilities. There's, there's nobody in them. So you're starting to, to <laughs> so, rebut this perspective by using logic. Uh, not that I'm against logic. <laughs> Logic's good. But you're, you're pointing out something that I wanted to talk about with you, and that is um, as soon as you use logic and sort of draw the line on something, mm -hmm. This, this is just a political reality, uh, and especially in our region, that if you draw the line and say, you know, enough is enough or stop here, this is, this, right. is, this is violating common sense. All somebody has to do is move just a little bit right. beside, you know, to your left, let's call it, and you're all of a sudden um, draconian. Mm -hmm. Do you, have, have you experienced that? Is it, whenever you make a call for, for common sense or a plea, uh, what I see and hear from from people of different political stripes mm -hmm. is this sort of I, I always liken it to the star bellied sneech and the plain bellied <laughs> sneech in the Dr. Seuss book that um, it starts the whole uh, blue, red, conservative, liberal yeah. firing across the bow by simply pleading for common sense. It, it is. And there's. Uh Again, being in the legislature, common sense is a is a commodity. It's hard to there's there's there are times when it just doesn't exist. But you all the reality is this: we have been in a in a single party controlled state for thirty years. It's just that's the reality. You know, there's there's been a very different agenda for a lot of years. 
I have watched over four years a systematic decriminalizing of the state of Washington, the lowering of penalties, the uh, the push, the advocacy to to change our our, our criminal system. Now, I, some of it I agree with, of course. You always look at policy and you find the what's the right policy. Um, how do we how do we better you know uh, lower recidivism and how do we how do we give people a second chance? I'm all about that, but. When that agenda is at the core, and then you have a crisis on top of it, and the crisis now gets to the agenda, which gets to the politics, which gets to the people in power, right? You then start to see that policy creeping into the crisis. And this is a classic example of that. You have all of these activists who are pushing for the, the, the decriminalization and the change of our correction saying, this is the right thing, this is the right thing, we need to do this. Where the common sense is, well, hold on, guys. Um, this is probably the best place to have people. You can control it. You can keep it safe, secure, clean environment. And they're going to be not social mingling. They'll probably get through this. But that policy overwhelms it. And thank God the Supreme Court, for, for once, uh, for the first time in a long time, a Supreme Court decision I agree with, uh, went in the right way because they were going to do a mass release. And, and even yesterday, I'm reading about a guy who led people in Pierce County and the officers on a chase and all this other stuff and get, oh, big shocker. He had just been released as part of that. Sure. You know, and he's going back. Thank goodness. But, but yeah, David, I think there's just, you know, these are where you see that. And that's uh, that same example can be put forth in the eviction proclamation. You just have to follow it. You just have to look at who is involved in the decision-making and who's crafting this policy. And, and if you see that policy there and then you go back and you look at it and go, wait a minute, this is legislation that has been talked about before. Now it's put in play under the auspice of this crisis. And then you go right to the other side and, and they have no problem on Twitter and everything else saying, yes, we got our policy in place. It needs to be permanent. This needs to be permanent policy. We need to have permanent just cause. We need to have permanent rent control. This needs to be permanent policy. And this crisis has proven that. And that's troublesome. That is, that is troublesome when you start to see this policy coming out of the crisis. And, you know, it's, it, I, you could say the same thing on the other side, I guess. There's, there's always those opportunities, right? But again, who is, who's been in control here for a long time? Well, you're making me think of, uh, I used, well, I'm still good friends with a former Speaker of the House, a great guy, Joe King. And we were talking one time, and I was, uh, railing on and on about uh, gridlock and, you know, how we maybe we should be a, a system like, a, you know, that has a parliament and a prime minister where we we have at least one party that gets stuff done instead of two sides just getting stuck in, in gridlock. And and he kind of uh, tamped me down a little bit and said, you know, I don't, I don't think necessarily that's, that's the best thing. Having two sides that have to kind of uh, work the burrs off, I think is what he called it, you know, that we have to kind of work together sure. with about equal power. It tends to kind of balance out the extremes when you have a couple parties or a couple different perspectives that have to make compromises. Sure. And I, I kind of, you know, my, my uh, youthful enthusiasm at the time, I, I, I took a lesson out of that. Mm-hmm. In what you're saying kind of makes sense in hearing, you know, sort of lopsided power in, in one side. But when you take that out into the into our culture, you don't really see that. You you don't see, oh, one side kind of balances out the other and we meet in the middle with a with a healthy mm-hmm. compromise and everybody's nobody got everything they wanted, but everybody got something right. and people are happy. In in our culture and in social media and so on, people 
go to their extremes, they dig their heels in, and they dehumanize each other in a way that it seems as if we're more divided now than we were like over the presidential election. Do, do, do you do you get that sense from seeing people protest on the Capitol steps, uh, you know, not too long ago about mm-hmm. wanting to reopen because they're so frustrated and other people calling them, you know, saying they have blood on their hands and they don't care about their fellow people? You know, I, I, I do. I, but I will say, you know, um, it's not all bad. And I think that it, that I think the media is responsible and social media at the core of it is responsible for a lot of the divide, uh, just by the narrative. And it depends on what the narrative is, you know, and how that is. Um, I don't see those protesters that were at the Capitol as being a divide. I mean, I think that they were expressing their rights and their abilities and, you know, and the frustrations and the, all the different things, no different than, the myriad of protests that come to the Capitol every, every year. I witness them while, you know, while I'm there. Um, but I do think, you know, we are, we're different than Washington, DC. I, I, I will say that. I mean, I, my experience is being a legislator. Now I'm one that is a collaborator. I want to do good policy. I, I, I want to put policy over politics. I, I strive to do that as best I can. Um, I am always trying to do that, but it is, there is a reality. And the reality is the majority controls. And so the, the policies and, the, and all the different things that come through, um, they, are, they are put into play because of that. Now, when we were 48-50 in the House, different story. You're two votes away. You, you have a, a, a close to balance of power. And that how, that's how it's been for many years. Uh, when we lost uh, eight seats and, you know, 41 to 58, big difference, Right. And all of a sudden, you know, the attitude changes. Um, we can do anything we want. Um, the new members that came in uh, in the uh, in the House on the Democrat side, very different members, right? Very much more progressive, liberal, you know, King County, you know, Puget Sound centric, all that stuff coming into the flow and not as much of a willingness to work together. Um, not a lot of business sense or common sense. I mean, there's a lot of different things and there's only a handful of members left in the majority. And so that's why you saw a huge shakeup in their, in their structure, right? New speaker of the house, all this stuff that didn't just happen. That happens because of the, the internal problems that they're having, but you still have that control, right? And it does make it difficult and it does cause a divide. And when you get into the real big issues, right? Whether it's, uh, uh, you know, gun issues, uh, gun control issues, whether it's uh, um, reproductive rights. So if you get into, um, you know, criminal justice system, I mean, some of these really big, and now housing, housing became probably one of the top uh, topics in the last two years. Those are where you see the extremes in policy, right? And it's harder to get to that middle. It's harder to get to that common ground. Um, it takes a lot more work. Um, I, I definitely know that firsthand. So, and I, and I think that it, we have to just be very cautious right now because, um, you know, there is some concern and it would be very interesting to see when we go back to special session, what policy comes forth, what legislation comes forth, what, what's thrown on the table? Will income tax be there? Will rent control be there? Will it be uh, under the guise of a crisis and emergency and we need to do this now? And we have the votes to do it, so we're doing it in a special session. I mean, that's a risk, right, that we look at. And so I think there's other things that we're, we're kind of contemplating. And, and so we have to be careful as we move through this crisis, especially with regards to policy. 
at the end of the day, do you expect between local, regional, state, and federal responses that whatever it takes to not have thousands of people on the street as a result of this crisis, do you think that'll take place? Whether that is economic revitalization and getting back to work or relief and and programs and funds or a combination of the two to bridge well uh, do you think we are certain that we're not going to have thousands of washingtonians or americans on the streets as a result of this crisis or do you think that's a possibility or do you think that's inevitable god i hope not i mean it's you know we have to look at our history you know we have to we have been through depressions many times in our country's history in our in our world's history um you and i don't know that we've never experienced well we talk about the great depression but people forget that the spanish flu of 1918 was followed by the what we refer to in america as the roaring 20s right an entire decade of right but you know but there are other things that come into play that, that that had economic factors um you know world war ii pulled us out of the great depression there's different things that have that have happened over the course of time this is different um you know I'll go back to what I said at the beginning. I, you know, I am a hopeful person. I am an optimist. I am, I am one that believes in the good of people. And and I hope that that through a combination of smart acts and good policy and, uh, you know, that we can do that, that we can pull out. We, we know the resilience of the people of this city of County, the state of this nation. I mean, we, we are a resilient people. Uh, we work together. We we don't want to see our fellow man on the streets. You and I have had this conversation. I, we we haven't even talked about the homeless issue. We'll have to do that another issue, another show. But, um, but you know, it's I I I do believe that we're going to work together to come out of this. Um, but I also am 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 still uh, cautious and worried that it is a timing situation. Uh, you know, time is not our friend right now. Time is our friend in the fact that we are moving further away from the, the epidemic, the, the, the heart and core of the epidemic that we saw uh, in the virus. But time is now not our friend when it comes to the economy. You know, every day that businesses sit, it's another person who stands to lose their business. It's another potential person who stands to lose their home. I mean, these are certain things. And then, like I said, there's only a finite resource right? There's only so much money that we can do. And so all that kind of comes into play and will have a direct impact. And so we will have impact. I mean, we, we, we know this from our experience uh, dealing with recessions and dealing with, you know, economic downturns and, uh, you know, but it, the other thing too, that I'm watching and somewhat, this is a very different, um, the impact of this, but also, um, the economy as a whole is shifting and it has been for some while, you know, we're, um, are we moving away from, you know, the big oil economy to the green economy? Are we moving to different types of retail? I mean, even you and I talked about how, what does it look like to have a gym in the future? What, how are people are, you know, I have a Peloton bike. I work out there. I don't have my gym membership anymore. I mean, is that a new, is it a new complete re redefining of how we do business and what does that look like because every time that that happens in our history winners and losers right and you have different segment and it takes a time for the next generation to kind of come into play of the next generation of business to backfill that but there's always those who have had the traditional quote-unquote mom and pops and the traditional you know brick and mortar retail 
that are going to suffer, that are going to, you know, have the, the issues. And so you, you're balancing that change overall in the economy on top of having a crisis by this virus. So uh, it is going to be very interesting times ahead. I mean, very much so. And, and from a person who is involved locally in the business sector, but also looking at my own business, how, how that model might work yeah, as we move forward, but also in the political arena of, of you know, how we craft policy and, and what we're going to be challenged with. And maybe just one more thing that I, I am curious about, because like you, I have uh, heard cries of rent strike. I, in in our area, we've had people uh, vandalizing and spray painting around My own the building. area. Yeah. Well, I'm sorry it's to hear that. Tagged all over the place. So, But if somebody, you know, you've got an expertise, that's your wheelhouse, as they mm-hmm. say. If somebody, what, what would you recommend somebody does to to negotiate or compromise with a, with a landlord um, if they're in a pinch and yeah. they're really waiting for relief or benefits? Yeah. Are there any tips or suggestions you would recommend? Well, the number one thing is to work together, guys. I mean, you know, I... I have a myriad of different owners and people I talk to and, and, you know, I haven't come across somebody that says, I'm just not going to do that. You know, I'm not going to, you know, they have to pay the rent. If you can't pay your rent, you know, the first question that we ask is what can you pay? You know, what is your situation? Uh, oh, you're waiting for your unemployment. Well, that'll be a couple of weeks. Okay. Well, why don't you pay <clears throat> this amount now that you said you could, and then in two, three weeks you can pay the balance. Or if you need to get behind, we can put that on the back of your lease. We can work these things out. As long as it works together, but every situation is different. You know, I have some owners that, you know, everybody thinks that you get rent and it just goes right into the owner's pocket. The reality of it is most people who own, including myself, I mean, you have a mortgage, you have expenses, you have everything else. I mean, you're lucky at the end of the day, if you clear 20 or 30 bucks, right? You're banking on the appreciation of that home and the, and it's a long-term investment, right? So there's not a lot of margin there. And there, I have also, I have owners that that thousand dollars they get every month is what they live on that and their social security and they're elderly and they're calling me going, uh, we don't have that flexibility, but we are willing to work with our tenants. We're willing to work through this. If people take the course of action and, and seek out assistance and keep pushing the pressure on to help us get this rental assistance program going and those different, that's where the energy should be focused on. But when I watch the news reports and I see these young people here from Evergreen and, you know, in, in the area and they're on, you know, rent strike and, and equality and, and, you know, and this fairness and, you know, those rich landlords don't need their money and, you know, we should have, that is not productive. That doesn't solve the situation. The people, when they moved into a place, they signed a contract. They signed a lease. They have legal obligations to that. They have an obligation to pay that rent. And they should be doing everything they can to work to pay that rent. And if they can't pay that rent on that particular place and over a period of time, they have to move, then we have to see, make sure that we have the things down the road to help them so we don't end up, like you said, with many people in the street. I'm concerned because, you know, when this moratorium is over, I had a lot of people asking me, well, aren't landlords just going to evict everybody then? And I'm thinking, uh, you know, our job is not to evict people. That's not what we set out to do every day. Our job is to rent people homes, to provide housing. Evictions come as a matter of process if you don't pay your rent or other circumstances, right? When this thing is over, yes, you're going to see evictions. You're going to see 
uh, backlog of evictions. You're going to see the courts that have been closed for months and months and months. And it will give the impression that there is this mass eviction happening, right? So be wary of that because you just got to understand how that process works. Um, But I also think it's going to be very difficult, um, you know, times ahead for those who have had a problem with tenants who have just refused to pay or work together with you. Well, that's uh, few and far between. I hope so. You know, and I, and again, I'm, I'm counting on the goodness of people. And, and if I, if my, if the tenants that work with my company are any indication, we're going to be fine because um, I literally have had, uh, you know, on half a hand, a couple people who just were very adamant that they weren't going to pay or couldn't pay. Most were, you know, very much wanting to work together, very much, you know, and, you know, we kind of, it's almost cliche now, but we hear it every day. We're all in this together, right? Sure. So we, we've got to go on that mantra and we've got to say we are all in this together. So we've, we've got to work together, but um, check back with me about mid-May and let's see where we're at. Because I, I just, if, uh, if the numbers are good and I, you know, then I'm going to be thrilled that people are working together. If it, if it goes, uh, if the percentages drop an extreme amount throughout our state, there will be some, there will be more cause for concern. All right. Thank you very much for your time. Sir. Yeah. Thank you for the opportunity to ramble on a little bit and, and chat, but it's, uh, these are interesting times and I, and I think it's, uh, it's good for you to, I appreciate what you're doing, getting information out and to your, uh, listeners and, and just giving a opportunity to, to chat about different things and, and be a resource. Thanks for listening to the David Ross show. Please give us a like or a share and subscribe to the podcast if you want to keep up with the latest episodes as we start to kick things into high gear. And as always, stay safe, wash your hands, and don't touch your face.